0: You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete.
1: Why is it such a big deal with God? Because in his nature, in his very being, there is no favoritism, no favoritism. Now, if you really receive that truth and understand it, right away, you ought to be very thankful, very thankful. When you look at Jesus, Jesus Christ, the God man, and when you study his life, you have exemplified in his life how to deal with other human beings as a human being.
0: Do you show any favoritism to those within the body of believers? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Danny, he shares with you the dangers of favoritism within the church. Every believer is uniquely created by God to do His will. Showing favoritism hurts the church body and misrepresents who God is. Pastor Danny explains that God is not one to show favoritism. It's simply not in His nature. God has created each person equally, but uniquely, and that should be respected and celebrated. Now, here's Pastor Danny in the book of James, chapter 2, with today's edition of the Living Word.
1: James chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Favoritism is very simply uh, showing special favor, or a synonym would be partiality. Then he gives an example of what he's talking about. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, same church meeting. If you show special attention to the man wearing the clothes, fine clothes, and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with, catch this, evil thoughts. This is evil. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong, Jesus Christ? Now, he's making general statement there. He's not saying every rich person in the church is doing this. But if you study history, uh, you'll find very quickly that throughout history, the people of God, the people of God are primarily made up of poor Common people. It doesn't mean that God doesn't offer salvation to the rich and influential. It's just that so many times they don't respond. And if you study history, you'll find not only are the majority of the people of God made up of just ordinary people and sometimes a lot of poor people, but the people that persecute the people of God are generally rich and influential people. That was happening in this day. It was the people in power. And so he's making general statements here. Verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. And the word right really could be translated better because the Greek word means you're doing excellent. And the idea is you can't do any better. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you don't commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. In the last couple of verses, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. What law is that? Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What he's saying is, if you've come to saving faith, you'll be judged by the law of mercy. You won't get what you deserve. That's the law that gives freedom. Law of mercy. Now, I chose to put the Greek word here for the person that comes in the meeting with the gold ring. Uh, It's in the Greek, don't worry about pronouncing it or anything like that, but that's the Greek word. and, And it really means more than a gold ring. It's gold ringed. You got hands. Fingers with rings all over the place, adorned with gold rings. The next word, the fine clothes, is this word lamprous Makes you think of a lamp, shining, brilliant, splendid, luxurious. And you understand those words. Uh, it really helps you understand what God's saying. Vlazio Valentino Liberaci. He was born May 16, 1919. He died February the 4th, 1987. He was a pianist and vocalist of Polish Italian origin. In a career that spanned four decades of concerts, recordings, motion pictures, television, and endorsements, Liberace became. World famous. Catch this. During the 1950s to the 1970s, he was the highest paid entertainer in the world and embraced a lifestyle of flamboyant excess both on and off the stage. Not only the rings on his fingers, this kind of clothes he wore probably influenced Elton John. I mean, just some of the things he wore, just just, unbelievable. You can't get more flamboyant. Than Liberace was. Get that one. The second word for the second guy that comes into the meeting, the first one, the Liberace kind of guy comes in. Second one, it's this person, reduced to beggary, begging, asking alms, destitute of wealth, destitute of influence, position, or honor. You can't get a more stark contrast than what God's saying in James chapter two. Uh, The second guy that comes in might have looked something like this. Again, you can't get more of a contrast Liberace versus the beggar here. And he's not just wearing shabby clothes. He's got an odor about him. I'm sure. God has a lot to say in the Bible about favoritism, partiality. That's interesting. I want you to understand where I'm coming from here. If Liberace were alive and actually came into this meeting First of all, I would gasp. Uh, We've never had anybody like that come into our meeting. But if he did come into this meeting, if he were alive and he came in, I might actually have a harder time welcoming Liberace than I would this guy. Now, I'm not saying I'm more spiritual. Please, listen to what I'm saying. Uh, Liberace was accused on several occasions of being a homosexual. If you accused Liberace publicly when he was alive of being a homosexual, he'd sue you. And he had the means to win. But I might have trouble not just because of his ostentatiousness, if you know what I mean, but because of the rumors that he's a homosexual. Because that's just appalling to me. Now, I love homosexuals, but nevertheless, that's appalling to me. I just, I just can't relate at all, at all. But here's the deal. Exodus 23, 3, do not show favoritism to a poor man. In his lawsuit. You see, there's nothing wrong with uh, saying to the guy that comes in, the gold ring guy, uh, with the fine clothes. There's nothing wrong with saying, here, here's a good seat for you. As long as you're willing to give the same courtesy to the poor man. But now let's reverse that. Sometimes, you know, especially if you love the Lord, you, you might be more partial to the poor beggar because of his condition. And that's just as wrong. To show partiality or favoritism to the poor. Leviticus 19.15, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. Both are wrong. Now, I hope you'll agree with me that we have a tendency toward favoritism in our natural selves. We're just born that way. We tend to cater to the rich, and we're talking more than about just money. We're talking about rich and influential people. Famous people, popular people. I mean, it started in elementary school. And especially it got worse when I hit middle school. You want to hang out with the cool crowd. You want to know the cool people. That's just natural tendency. Why do we tend to do that? Well, this is a clue. Proverbs nineteen six: Many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of a man who gives gifts. Proverbs 14, 20 says, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Now, you see this even in in situations in Christian circles. My wife and I left Wednesday and were with our friend Daniel Henderson for the 6-4 National Conference in Dallas, Texas. Got back late yesterday afternoon. Uh, Great time. And um, Pastor Jim Simula was there. I love Pastor Jim Simula. But one guy I was looking forward to hearing because I've never really listened to him a lot, and I was hoping I'd get to meet him was Francis Chan. Just so happened that on Thursday, I'm in the lobby of the hotel. We're staying, and guess who comes to check in? But Francis Chan. My first thought as I was close to him, my first thought is, is what people say to me. You know the number one thing people say to me when they come up and meet me up close and personal? No kidding. You know what the first thing they say is? Here's, they'll look at me and they'll say, you look a lot taller on stage that's the number one comment I get. Thank you. What do you say? You know, my first thought when I was right there at Francis Chan, my first thought was, you look a lot taller on stage. That was my first thought. i was just as big as him. But here's what happens at conferences like that. Look, look, including me sometimes. I, I, in, you want to you wanna meet Francis Chan. You want Francis Chan to know you. You want to hobnob with Jim Simbola? Matter of fact, one of the guys we were hanging out with, a pastor from North Carolina that I had met before through the Six Four Fellowship, and we spent a lot of time, my wife and I, with he and his wife during the conference, and uh, we know each other well enough now. He said, "Yeah, you you hobnobbing with the big wigs, aren't you?" And so I punched him. No, I didn't punch him. But you know what I'm saying? The, the natural tendency. That's our natural tendency to cater to the rich and the influential. Now God was very careful in the Old Testament to talk about favoritism and partiality. As a matter of fact, when he selected leaders, uh, he wanted to make sure they understood all about this. Deuteronomy chapter 1, I'm not going to read all these verses, but in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses, when he realized what a large congregation God had given him. Here's what he said, verse 9, at that time I said to you, you're too heavy a burden for me to carry alone." The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you're as many as the stars in the sky. Now that's a big church. May the Lord, the God of our fathers, increase you a thousand times and bless you. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens all by myself? So verse 13, choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes, and I'll set them over you. So, verse 15, I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over, get this, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. In other words, all the way down to the life group leader, all the way down to the small group leader. And here's the charge to these leaders I charged your judges at that time, your leaders. Hear the disputes between your brothers and judge fairly, whether the case is between brother Israelites or between one of them and an alien. Someone from another country, another culture. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man. In other words, don't let them influence you toward partiality and favoritism all the way down to the small group leader. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 18. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Don't pervert justice or show partiality. Don't accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Malachi chapter 2, verse 9, God actually judged uh, Israel for failing in this area, and he tells them, I'm judging you because you've shown partiality in matters of the law. You've shown favoritism. Now, God had just as much to say about it in the New Testament, but before we look at some of those, listen, let's just look at a couple of them. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 9, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 whether, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, as Paul concludes this chapter on dealing with things in the church. And one of the last things he mentions is is if an elder sins, they are to be rebuked publicly. In other words, you don't show partiality just because they're an elder. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly. And then verse 21, he says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Now, why is this such a big deal? with God, and why is it so evil? Romans chapter 2, verse 6, listen, God will give to each person according to what he has done, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. There'll be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. One more verse. Let me just read this one for us. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, when Moses wants to extol our God as a great God, here's what he says in verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality. And accepts no bribes. Why is it such a big deal with God? Because in his nature, in his very being, there is no favoritism. No favoritism. Now, if you really receive that truth and understand it, right away, you ought to be very thankful. Very thankful. When you look at Jesus, Jesus Christ, the God man, and when you study his life, you have exemplified in his life how to deal with other human beings as a human being. Because there's no favoritism in his character. No favoritism in his nature. Even the enemies of Jesus, uh, when he came to earth, knew this. You can write down Matthew chapter 22. Let me read it for you. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 16. Verse 15, then the Pharisees went on, laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teachers, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. There's no favoritism. There's no partiality. You know that if you study the life of Jesus and his disciples, there are people that his disciples would shun, that he would rebuke his disciples and he would accept. One of the first disciples he called, remember Matthew, Levi, sitting in his tax collector's booth. You want to know a person that was shunned in that culture, in that society, it would be Matthew, a Jewish tax collector. He's taxing for the Romans. He's a collector for the Romans. He betrayed his own people. And Jesus comes by and says, come follow me. Matthew was so moved. So moved. You know what he did? He threw a party for Jesus at his house. Invited all his friends. And all his friends, you know who they are? They're people that none of the religious people would hang out with. And Jesus and his disciples get criticized for being at Matthew's house with all of his pals. He treats Zacchaeus, I I will forever now... For until I get to heaven, and, and I think when I get to heaven, of course, I'll know the truth, but I, but I think Zacchaeus looks like Danny DeVito. I really do. He's a short guy. He's up a tree. Jesus trees him, and he says, Matthew, uh, Zacchaeus, I got to go to your house today. Zacchaeus couldn't believe it. He's another guy that if you're religious, you know, in that culture, you're not going to hang out with the chief tax collector like Zacchaeus, but Jesus goes to his house, and because of Jesus' openness towards Zacchaeus, he gets saved. He gets saved. He says, Jesus, today, right now, today, if I've cheated anybody, and he cheated a lot of people, I, I'll pay back four times what I stole from them. And right here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Lepers. lep. I've been to India twice. It's, it's a tough place to minister. Exciting, but it's tough. We're getting ready to leave uh, one church meeting, and we get on this bus, and as we're about to leave, the door is open to the bus, and I'm sitting right there, and all of a sudden this lady had leprosy all over a big part of her body. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And the first just normal reaction is to withdraw. Jesus reached out and touched lepers. He touched them demoniacs that nobody else could have anything to do with, living in the tombs, cutting himself with, with, with stones, crying out. <laughs> and Jesus changed his life. The most outcast and ostracized people in that society. But now you flip the coin around and, li- and see this about Jesus. You study his life. A Pharisee on more than one occasion would invite him to a dinner at his house. And Jesus went. Self-righteous Pharisee. And Jesus went. Remember on one occasion? A woman who had lived a sinful life in that town. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. I don't know if she was a prostitute, but everybody knew she had lived a sinful life. She comes in, breaks into this dinner at this Pharisee's house. Wetting Jesus' feet with her hair and, uh, tears and wiping them with her hair. And what does the Pharisee think? If this man were a prophet, he wouldn't let her do that. He'd know what kind of woman she is. But the point is this. Jesus loved the Pharisee just as much as he loved the woman. There's no partiality. He'd go to the home of Pharisee just as fast as he would minister to a woman that had a sinful reputation in the town. Because there's no favoritism in his nature. That's why James starts out. That's why he opens this text uh, by saying, verse 1, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Because if you show favoritism, you misrepresent your Savior. Now, look, let me tell you something. Let me let you in on something. When I stand up here on this stage behind this pulpit and I teach a message, especially a message like this, you better know something. God's God's already spoken to me before he speaks to you. And I haven't arrived here. I want to be more like Jesus. I'm not there. There's some people even, there's some people even in this church. I was so convicted, there's some people even in this church. When I see them coming, I want to go the other way. Certain people I like to hang out with, and other people I, I don't like to hang out with. And don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. Persons' education, economic status, looks wardrobe, social relationships, job, fame, prestige, earthly honor, all these collectively and individually mean nothing to God, mean nothing. On the way back from Dallas yesterday, we were getting ready to get on the plane, and I had been studying and preparing for the message. I needed a break. You know, sometimes you just got to get away from that, and I bought a USA Today, and uh, right on the front page, what caught my eye, first article I read is a picture of a guy, and I did not I don't have it on the PowerPoint or anything, but... Here's how it opens up. Six years have passed since a roadside bomb set Ronnie Tony Porta on fire in Iraq when he was 20, and he's still trying to find his way home. Let me just read you sections of the article. There was no accident that I'm reading this article and studying James chapter (laughs) 2.
0: We're thankful you tuned in today to The Living Word. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series, visit ccfstpete.church. You might be interested in looking back at some previous teachings that are there as well. Subscribing to our YouTube channel will allow you to be notified as soon as we post anything new. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship on Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. You can find out more by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, we also offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click on the link in the menu. Have you been enjoying the book of James? Well, Pastor Danny has more to share from this series, and we hope you'll tune in to hear it. James really hits on something that can be a struggle even today. When you commit to a life of following Jesus, the most compelling evidence of that decision is when there's noticeable changes in your life that reflect it. But if you're just like the rest of the world, it might be hard to tell that there's been a true heart change. It's something to think about and to ponder while we continue through this study. We're so glad to know that you're a part of our listening audience, and we hope you'll continue to desire and search out and study the living word.